How does discouragement affect us? Discouragement is a very serious problem. And I think we, you know, we sort of normalize it. Everybody gets discouraged every once in a while. And that's true, that's true. But don't deal with discouragement lightly. Discouragement can affect us profoundly. Welcome to Living a Legacy with Crawford Loretz. Crawford has served in Christian ministry for over 50 years. He's authored such books as Leadership as an Identity, Unshaken, and Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. Crawford now heads the Christian leadership mentoring organization known as Beyond Our Generation. Well, we're making our way through a series called The Pursuit of God's Heart, looking at the life of David. Now, there were times of victory for David, but he also experienced discouragement. And that discouragement could only be relieved through knowing that God was setting forth a particular path for David. So far, we've looked at David's initial call, his battle with the giant Goliath, the attacks of King Saul, and today we'll see what is probably one of the lowest points in David's life. Let's head to 1 Samuel chapter 30 and see how this all relates to the discouragement you and I face on occasion. Again, 1 Samuel chapter 30. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. The last message that I gave was entitled The Dark Side of Favor. That was the message where it was the tipping point in David's relationship with Saul. Um, after David killed Goliath, God used him to slay Goliath. Um, it became very problematic because these women, they, they sang a song, they uh, composed a song that said, uh, Saul has killed his thousand, David has killed his ten thousand, and that wasn't a good thing for David or Saul. Saul uh, got ticked at that point, and uh, he became unglued. That's not hyperbole. I really believe that Saul lost his ever-loving mind. And uh, jealousy and envy and all of that, he throws spears at David twice, and I think by this point David says, ah, it might be a good idea for me to leave. And so David has to run. He's running from Saul for 16 years. We come to this text in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Um, I don't know the specific chronology exactly where this takes place, but it is safe to say that this takes place probably near the end of that wilderness wandering. Because by this time, David has amassed a very significant army of followers. He's behind enemy territory. Uh, he's in Philistine territory probably using that as cover to protect himself from Saul, who's still coming after him to kill him. It probably takes place maybe, I don't know, year 12, 13, 14 of his exile. And David is a very powerful man at this point. Before I get too much into the story, let me just set it up this way. We've all been discouraged. But what specifically is discouragement? I think in its simplest form, fundamentally, discouragement is a loss of perspective. You know, I actually don't think that there can be discouragement if there is not fear. Where there's discouragement, there is fear. Something has not worked out. Something anticipated, something hoped for, something expected has not necessarily worked out. Now, let me, let me just back up a little bit and say that there's a relationship between the three words, disappointment, discouragement, and depression. 
They're not the same thing. You know, we all have disappointments. We have disappointments every day. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're discouraged. It's just, you're just disappointed. You, this didn't work out. That didn't work out. Okay. And, and disappointment is a healthy thing. It's a part of life. But you got to be careful. Now, the, the accumulation of disappointments can, can suggest a pattern to you that might push you toward discouragement. And the very word means that the courage is taken out of you. Well, you've been worn down by disappointments or the unanticipated, or as in this case, a major blow hits you that so rocks your world, all the courage is gone and you're fearful. Now, depression is a form of discouragement entrenched. In fact, someone put it this way, someone, and I like this definition, that really depression is anger turned inward. It is not just being fearful of what is happening. It is not just experiencing the downside of it. But by this point, you so internalize stuff. And you're so angry about what has taken place and so hurt over it that, that, that actually there's this self-blame and you're beneath the hope line. You're plummeted there. But I, that's, that's above my pay grade. Not going to talk about depression today, but I am going to talk about discouragement. Discouragement. Now, before we get into the text, we need to frame this in terms of where, where, what our address is all about. And in other words, you know, uh, how does discouragement affect us? Discouragement is a very serious problem. It's very serious. And I think we, you know, we sort of normalize it. Everybody gets discouraged every once in a while. And that's true. That's true. But don't deal with discouragement lightly. Discouragement can affect us profoundly. And I, I just want to click off five things that came across my mind through my own experience and watching other people and the body language and what happens with folks that you're around who are discouraged. You got to be careful with this thing. Uh, I think discouragement, number one, drains us of joy and faith. Just drains us of joy and faith. Pulls a plug out of you. You're fearful. This has happened. Maybe you, you anticipate it and you say, well, why does this stuff all... And, and you say, yeah, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not believing anymore. And you, even your body language tells that, uh, it's so joyful anymore. I think secondly, discouragement lowers our expectations. Why? Because there's self-protection involved. I, I believed that. I, I, I hoped for that. I, I worked hard on that. I, I thought that this was going to take place. I knew that this was going to happen, and it didn't happen. Doggone it, not only did it not happen, it just, that stuff just pounds me. It never works out for me. So what do I do? I, I sort of like pull it in, pull it back. I'm not going to dream anymore. I'm not going to put it out there. Anymore. I, every time I put myself out there, I get bam, bam. No, I'm not doing that. So we end up reducing and lowering our expectations to protect ourselves. I think thirdly, it pulls us toward isolation. Discursion just pulls us back from people, pulls us back from relationships, pulls us back from these things. And you, you just want to be by yourself. You find yourself, you don't want to hang out with anybody anymore. You want to go there. You know, you got to be careful because then you're, you're heading down toward this, this path called depression here. You don't want to act anymore because actually you're kind of ticked off. You're mad. You're disappointed. You're angry. And actually, you don't want too much comfort at this point. You sort of like, in a perverse sense, where you are. We're not careful. Discouragement also feeds dark, 
negative outlook, a dark negative outlook. Yeah, you, 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 you hoped and 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 you say something. Mm-mm. You know, I, I probably shouldn't say this as a pastor, but I, I have, I got to be careful. I don't, I, I can't be around negative people too long. I just, I just, it, it drives me nuts, okay? That's, I just, that, you know, uh, but that, I'm just being transparent with you. Uh, th- that, that stuff, but I, what I've learned what I've learned is, you know, folks who tend to, tend to have a dark negative outlook actually have probably been hurt before. There's a reason why uh, they're dark and negative. Uh, there, there's some fear stuff there. Uh, and they're, they're, afraid, they're, they're afraid to be positive. So what they do, they keep pulling things back, which leads to the, the fifth one, is that, you know, discouragement, if we're not careful, sets us up for cynicism. We, we, we can get cynical. Why? Because it hasn't worked. And so as a result, we, we, you know, we tend to be hypercritical, critical of situations, seeing it down. Oh, no, that, yeah, I, but if you really knew the truth about that, now that looks better than it really is. No, I, you know, he's not, he's not really all, well, you know, that, this situation is not really good. Oh, you know, that, I don't think that really can. I, before you know it, you're just like, no, nothing positive or very few things positive are sustainable. Because I can't let this stuff rise above my demeanor. And you got to be careful with discouragement because this, this kind of dark stuff is contagious. It really is. I don't know what it is about human nature. This old boy's been around a lot, been around a lot of teens. One of the things I've found out, um, actually, actually, the negative multiplies itself more than the positive. There's this thing about human nature. And we're drawn to the critical. And discouragement can really dampen the environment around you. Now we come to our text. This is a very important passage, and I, I'm not going to do it justice today. I, I want us to go home and really, really marinate in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Because this, this is a passage that arguably is the lowest point in David's life. I would suggest, obviously, his sin with Bathsheba and that, that time in which his son Absalom is coming to kill him is lower than this. I don't know if it's much lower, though. Up until this point, I think this is the lowest point in his life. You know, um, David and his men are thrown into the depths of discouragement. And yet, ironically, this whole story tells us how to overcome discouragement. I bless God for this story being here in the text. And again, the scene is that David is a very powerful man in the wilderness. God's favor has been on him. Even though he's been chased by Saul uh, for up until this point, what, 12, 13, 14 years maybe? He's amassed this incredible army uh, there with him. And by the way, these dudes that joined David were not exactly model citizens. These, these, these dudes were outcasts. They were criminals. They were, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were some bad actors, okay? And yet they were profoundly loyal to David. They're in this, this stronghold, this city called Ziglag. Now, let me, let, me, let me give you the progression of the story itself. Actually, th- this outline, this story is a crescendo. 
It begins at the lowest point and it ends at a high point. So I'll give, I'll give this three-point outline in an ascending order. It begins, number one, with devastation. There's determination, and then there is deliverance, but not, it's always in that order. You don't go from devastation to deliverance. There's some things that need to be done. First of all, there's devastation. That's verses one through the first part of verse six. I want to read the first few verses here. David and his men, his army, this kind of thing, has been doing, they've been doing these raids on the Amalekites. These raids on other people. Now, here they are, they come back home after having been gone and fighting for a long time. Verse 1 says, now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and all the people who were with him raised their voices and wept. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta feel this. Here you have, they're coming back. They've, they've, they've been gone for a while. All their family and everybody's there in Ziklag. And they come back. And they get to the city. They're on their camels or horses. And all they see is smoke. They hear no sound of children. They, 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 they don't hear any, any, any sound of the, of the livestock. Where's everybody? Let me back up a little bit here. Ziklag, Ziklag was the stronghold that had been given to, to David by, by the king of Gath, which was under Philistine uh, control. And it had been given there to David for, for his men to live there. By this time, again, he's been running for a number of years. He had amassed this army. They, you know, it was like it was too many of them dudes to be living in caves, so they needed a place to stay. And Ziklag became their stronghold. It was protected. And David and his men and their families had lived in Ziklag for, at this time, if my chronology is right, about 16 months. And the attack on Ziklag was probably in retaliation of David's raids on, and his men's raids on, on the Amalekites. And so while they're out doing other stuff, the Amalekites says, paydays, come here, buddy. And so we're going to do this to you. But this is, a, this, is a, this, is a, this is a picture of great loss. So again, they're there, and you, you got to sense this. You got to feel this. They're, they're there, and there's nobody there. What's going on? And I can imagine his men are crying out there, calling for their wives, Sarah, Deborah, Mary. David's from say, where's my kids? Little David, what, what's, where are they? What's up? Great loss. Been taken from them. This, this wasn't supposed to happen. This great loss obviously triggers great pain. Notice the description here. Again, verse, verse 4 says, Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had 
also had been taken captive by Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the, um, uh, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. This is a picture of those who have come to the end of the line. These dudes were outcasts. And David picked them up. And they joined David. He was their hope and he was their future. They were all in with him. And David too, he, he's going through excruciating pain. It's almost as if he said, oh, I, I, you know, I didn't do anything. I did what God called me to do. I've been faithful. I didn't kill Saul. I didn't do anything. This dude is out to kill me. I'm out here now. I'm in charge of these dudes here. They're, they're, they're looking to me for leadership. I come, we come back here. Everything's gone. God, what are you doing to me? I would have felt that way. It's all over. This wasn't supposed to happen. I know some of you are there. I followed the Lord. I believed in him. I prayed. I did it God's way. And yet, yet I've had people in my family die. I've lost my house. I've lost my job. These things happen to me. Come on. That's where they are. So this devastation is launched in great loss. And then there is great sorrow. But you had insult to injury. It gets worse. It's also anchored in great opposition. What happens here? Look at, look at verse 6. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. We've given ourselves to you. You tell me that my sons and my daughters and all that we have, that they're safe? But we're at the end of the line, man. What difference does it make? We're going to kill you. David's men had turned on him in so many words. They said, we, we believed in you and followed you. And look where you led us. You, 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 you deserve to die. And I want to remind you, again, these were not model citizens. Have you ever felt alone? As if the weight of the world was on your shoulders. Is anybody for me? I, I gotta tell you what I would do. Hey man, my family's gone. These are some bad dudes that I've recruited. They've turned on me. I'm waiting for an opportunity to clandestinely slip out <laughs> and get a lot of kilometers or miles or whatever they had back then between me and them. And most of you'd be thinking the same way. So we go from devastation, but something happens here in the text. We go from devastation to number two, determination. But what makes them determined? You, you, you can't quit, you can't give in, you can't give up. What are you gonna do? You're in a situation. The very first thing you do is that you strengthen yourself. Well, how do you do that? I want you to take a look at verse 6 here. 
Beginning at verse, and it's up verse 6, it says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But notice this, but David. In here, somewhere along the line, in the midst of all of this, I don't know when it happened, David makes a decision. But David, he's by himself. He's by himself. He's hurting. His wives, his family, his stuff, it's gone. And they're going to kill him. But David, what did he do? But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I want you to notice the personal pronoun here. He didn't say, but David strengthened himself in the Lord God. No, David had strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He understood at this very moment that God was personal to him. And in some way, somehow, he had got to get perspective. If he looked at what was happening to him, he's a dead man. Now, I, I have to say here, I don't agree with some of the messages I've heard on this text that ring the changes on this, on this line that David strengthened himself in the Lord is God or encouraged himself in the Lord is God. They come across as if David was stoic. I don't think that that's the case here. I don't think this is to be read that way, that somehow or another David stoically said, wait a minute, I'm still in charge. I don't think that happened at all. The text lends itself to to, to conclude that David was as, as much an emotional, sorrowful mess as his men were. And I actually believe that probably what happened is David gets off his animal. He realizes what's taking place. The city's burned up. Where am I? Where are my kids? Where, where's all this stuff? Everybody, what's going on? And David is sitting down and maybe his head is in his hands and the tears are coming down his face. He said, God, what are we going to do? David realizes that he can't allow himself to become depressed and hopeless. He can't allow himself to become defensive and react to his men's rebellious voices. He realizes that he has to connect with the Lord and find the strength to go on. What's the alternative? I think in the midst of his sobs, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his anguish, all the stuff swirling around him. David had walked with God all those years. David had seen God work all those years. And maybe David, in the midst of his sobs and pain, somehow flashing across his mind was one of the psalms that he wrote. And maybe began to think through God's faithfulness and maybe began to sing Psalm 3, verse 3. Thou, O Lord, art a shield about me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. Maybe he remembered that. And that stuff kept flooding into his heart, flooding into his mind. David strengthened himself in the Lord. Crawford Loretz here on Living a Legacy, Overcoming Discouragement, the title of today's program. Well, next week, Crawford continues his series called The Pursuit of God's Heart, a look at the life of David. The message title, The High Price of Failure. Hope you'll be right back here with us. Your emails let us know if you're benefiting from this weekly Bible teaching. Our mission at Living a Legacy is to help you take that next step in your walk with Christ. So it's important for us to know that our mission is active. 
Write to legacy at moody.edu, legacy at moody.edu. Well, if you joined us late in today's broadcast, you can catch all of Crawford's message on our website. Go to livingalegacy.org and look for the link past programs, livingalegacy.org. Thanks for joining us. For Dr. Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.